Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we've got Adam from Spooky Cycles. For those of you who come from the mountain bike side of the sport, you may remember Spooky from ages and ages ago, coming on the scene from the East Coast with their shreddable aluminum bikes. That history and that punk rock attitude is definitely present in the modern day Spooky. The brand has gone through a few hands, but it's always held a special place in people's hearts. Adam will get into the history of the brand a little bit, but more importantly, give you their perspective on a gravel bike, their Rover model, which was yet another bike showcased at the Envy Builder Roundup in Ogden, Utah earlier this year. This episode is actually brought to you by our friends at Envy. It's the final one in a series of interviews, as you know, that I've done with frame builders, designers, and other participants at the Envy Builder Roundup. An incredible show, incredible to visit the Envy factory, walking through the production of carbon fiber components, right from the role of carbon fiber when it comes through the factory door, all the way through the extensive in-house testing they do across their range of products. It was a pleasure to be there out in Ogden, Utah. Also a pleasure to have them as a sponsor of the podcast. I truly appreciate everything that Envy puts into the sport of gravel cycling. You see them everywhere. They're underwriting events. They're obviously supporting builders around the world with their great components and also building their own bikes at this point. If you haven't had an opportunity to check out their custom road and all road bike, check it out. It's, it's visually stunning. It just shows you what you can do when you've got all the means of production under one roof. So with that said, let's dive right in. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Craig. I'm excited to talk about the brand Spooky and what you guys are up to in Arizona today. As I mentioned to you before, I'm one of those people who, from the East Coast, I was familiar with the brand 25 years ago. I think I met them at a Norba National and I traded t-shirts with them and got a shirt that said, nine out of 10 moms prefer bikes to bombs. That's funny. Those guys were innovators, I guess you could say, and had some great marketing. I believe the original origin of the name Spooky comes from a rock band, so they were into music, and and to my understanding, named Spooky Bikes after the brand, after the music label. And as you mentioned to me before offline, it was one of those brands that took off like a rocket ship back when it started, and then eventually ran its course, and the brand set idle for many years. It did. And to my understanding, it was the number one selling hardtail mountain bike in the UK one year, which is mind blowing. I haven't fact checked that, but that, that's the word on the street. Um, and then I think it went through a series of owners and eventually was just put in a drawer for, for a number of years. And when is it that your current ownership group took notice of the brand and, and looked to resurrect it? So we had a friend that did the heavy lifting of tracking down who had it. He was a fan from back in the 90s and was an interesting guy that was just wondered what happened and looked into it. And I believe he tracked down an attorney that had either worked with, you know, whoever the last owner was and essentially worked out a deal to acquire the name and, and the rights. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, hooked up with Frank the Welder, who was the guy that, that was welding the frames way back uh, from the beginning. Yeah, Frank the Welder's a storied member of the cycling community and certainly done a lot of great work. I think I, we originally 
would have heard his name back in the Yeti Cycles days. Definitely, yeah. He's worked with many different companies and uh, has quite the resume. Yeah. But as it stands now, Spooky as a brand inhabitates the in Arizona and has brought all the welding in-house. It has, yeah. Frank was awesome. He was a, obviously a part of our history and a great asset to us. We felt like being so far away and having him way up in the Northeast and us being way down in the Southwest, it was just really hard, hard to put our heads together without taking a three or four day uh, trip. And so, yeah, we've uh, taken that in-house and so far it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Let's talk a little bit about the bike that you've brought out to the Envy Builder Roundup and the Rover is the model name of your gravel bike. Let's just talk a little bit about that and give it a give us a high level overview. And then I want to drill into a couple of the features that really caught my eye about this bike. Definitely. So the Rover is a adventure gravel bike, the capability of running big tires, which we've talked about a little bit. And I'm sure we'll talk about some more. Bigger is better in our opinion. And the bike is set up. Uh, we've really taken a hold of wireless shifting really believe that's the future, and SRAM has been a great partner with their mullet setup, so it's a dream componentry to put on our bike, and of course, Envy makes a great fork, and so our, our motivation started with figuring out how we could max out the tire in the front and have the same size in the rear, so that's where our journey started when we were talking about what kind of gravel adventure bike we wanted to build. And let's talk about the frame material that is uh, Spooky's frame material of choice. So we use aluminum, 7000 series, have as long as we've been involved, and that's a great material. It's come a long ways since the early days of aluminum. We still have customers that, you know, say, oh my gosh, I would never ride an aluminum bike. I had one in 1994, and it was the harshest riding bike in the world. Why in the heck would you guys still make bikes out of that stuff? And so where has that tubing gone? I agree with you. Like back in the day... When aluminum first came onto the scene, the, the weight savings compared to the steel bikes we were riding was just phenomenal, and everybody was willing to go for it. And then as carbon got into the mix, it was became the material du jour and a, and a good way to get performance and lightweight. What has gone on with aluminum over the last you know decade or 15 years that has made it a high-performance tube tubing set for your bike? Sure. So we work with Dedekai, which is an Italian tube maker, which most people are familiar with in the space. And they've really pushed innovation as it relates to tube shapes. And traditionally, you were using round tubes. Now with their technology, they have a number of different top tubes. Every tube is specific to the area of the bike. And what you get from that is a, a much more forgiving ride, plus all the benefits that you mentioned earlier. And then are you, are, is there tuning available that changes between the different frame sizes or is the tubes that you're getting applicable to all sizes across the range? So they typically, most, most of their components, some of the components we buy in bulk and custom cut in the shop. A lot of their stuff comes at a standard length and then you miter it down so that it's adjusted to the frame size. Gotcha. And as far as that that sort of welding process, when it came to the rear triangle, I know you mentioned part of the inspiration was the capabilities of this Envy gravel fork that allowed for a very wide tire. I think maybe it goes up to a 650 by 2.2. 2. 
How were you able right. to achieve that with the aluminum tubing? I know there's some complexity on the rear end. How are you able to achieve that space? Sure. So you've seen lots of all the builders in the showcase have if they have a gravel bike, have done it in a number of different ways, whether that's Allied has gone up and high on the chain stay side with the chain coming underneath. A number of other companies have made the rear triangle really wide. With carbon, you can get away with a lot of different shapes. With aluminum, we need a little more material down there to, to, to accommodate a wider tire. And when I say material, I'm talking about the bottom bracket area. And so we went to a 73-millimeter bottom bracket which five millimeters goes a long ways in helping us be able to get that tire clearance. So we focused on a, a, wide, a wider bottom bracket. And like I was saying earlier, with the mullet setup, you can still run a mountain bike rear end with road shifters in the front. And so you can get all the performance. And that really wouldn't have probably been that much of a possibility two, three, four years ago, trying to run mechanical shifting and getting road and mountain to play well together. Is the Rover set up for both one by and two by setups? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. And with that, so the, just the crank, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. The crank configuration gets a little bit tricky. You're limited to like SRAM makes a wide two by set. So you're, you have some limitations to go two by with the, um, you know, componentry, but it is possible. Yeah. So just to put it in perspective for people, I wouldn't say it's industry norm, but a, a common bottom bracket shell might be 68 millimeter. And then uh, you're at 73. Which is more of a standard mountain bike uh, diameter. Gotcha. Gotcha. So width, chan chan chances are you, if you've got a mountain bike at home, this is something you've experienced. I think people immediately with wider BBs start to think about this Q factor element, which hasn't really ever come into play too much for me but I know it's out there as a something people talk about. Sure. So let's talk about the intention. You released the Rover kind of the very end of last year and the beginning of this year. What type of rider do you think is ideally suited for this model? What was the kind of inspiration or ideal? Yeah, we want, we're in Arizona, so there's a lot of, as soon as you get out of the city, there's a lot of both canals and desert roads and just we want it's a bike that we wanted to be able to ride here we i grew up riding on the road and it always felt like oh it'd be so great if we could just do that last couple miles or instead of riding on a bunch of bad roads we could take a shortcut and cut through some areas and get to the area we wanted to go but yeah you, know, you don't want to ride a mountain bike on the road so really this bike was the bike that you could do it both on the road and you could take it off road without giving up a whole lot of uh, speed and, and comfort are you finding many of the customers are electing to get the bike set up with two wheel sets so they can have that versatility? That definitely is becoming more and more popular, The especially for people who live in urban areas and they maybe live in an apartment and just storing uh, multiple bikes is cumbersome. Definitely have seen that. It's definitely nice for traveling if you're going to go on a trip and you want to be able to do both. And the wheel set option is really, that's a game changer for sure. Spooky also offers the Maverick Road model. How do they juxtapose against one another? Sure. So the Maverick is a true disc road bike. We 
as we talked about earlier, believe in larger tire diameter, so that can go up to a 32. It's definitely going to be a more aggressive geometry. We even have a small a local amateur team here that's riding the Mavericks right now, and unfortunately they're not riding them at all right now due to any races due to COVID for the last year, but they will be when things get back up and going. And that's a fast road bike where the Rover is much more adventure, do everything that the uh, the Maverick can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about what that process was like for you just organizationally as you decided to bring the welding in-house. That seems like a major shift in the business. What was that like and how have you felt the end results have transformed the opportunity for the business? Sure. Great question. So it was a little bit scary at the beginning. Obviously, Frank has been great. He's a great resource, super awesome guy, unbelievable stories, and just a fun guy to be around. As I mentioned earlier, we wanted to find uh, somebody locally here that we really felt could we could be there and have it be a part of what we do and who we are and way out of our way to, to collaborate. So we found a gentleman here that had a deep history in actually in welding motorcycles, extremely high-end, very expensive custom motorcycles. And so he is familiar with, with the material we're working with, obviously have worked on motorcycles that are going 100 miles an hour, have to, and you can't mess up the engineering there. Those have to be spot on and the welds have to be perfect. And so really, he he really has taken the fabrication side of Spooky and taken it to an all-new level just with his capabilities and insight and experience. And so that really has been a huge, a huge win for us as a brand. I bet. I'm curious what you saw his journey to be like making that transition. Or I know it's not a full transition as he's still doing high-end motorcycle work, but the transition to the to sort of the smaller tubing diameters and the spacing requirements, building a bicycle frame. How did you find him take to that? And, and what was that journey like? Were there a number of attempts as he was getting his skills up that you guys were riding and testing before he perfected the art? Or, or was it something that, given his years of experience, it was not too much different than what he was doing before? That's a great question. And we, um, to answer that in a couple parts, we rode, a, he did a lot of bikes and a lot of frames and we rode a lot of miles on him. So we definitely did a lot of R&D. And, and the thing that I think I was most impressed with is just the questions that he asked. He was a cyclist, but not avid. And coming from an outside perspective, a lot of times is a fresh breath of air. We're, we have a certain way of doing things and maybe we've done them like that for five, 10 years or whatever. He would just ask questions like, well, why haven't, why don't you have a bigger tire in the rear if you can fit one in the front? I was like, it doesn't fit. What are we going to do? And he's what if we just make this bottom bracket wider? That seems like a, so then you go down that rabbit hole and try and figure out, okay, what are the pros and cons? And, you know, he just asked great questions and, and that kind of naivety to the bike industry was actually a huge asset because it, he asked a lot of questions that we weren't thinking about. And, and then as I also say, he also is a big stickler for trying to make things simple from a design or from a uh, fabrication standpoint one small thing that we did not to get too far in the weeds but we had custom dropouts um, made for the rear end before it was two stock pieces that we were welding together and now we just have one piece that is all what that can easily be fabricated and you know small things like that that go a long ways because it eases fabrication time but it also uh, just makes the bike even more bulletproof than what it already was that makes sense. And what is it? What does the timeline look like to get your hands on one of these rovers? 
That's a great question. We were really humming along beginning of COVID as with everybody. So I'm so sick of hearing that excuse. So I hate to use it, but historically we were able to do a bike in eight weeks and custom paint and turn it around fast. Now it's quite a bit longer than that, just with tubing availability and painting has become cumbersome. Just hiring help to paint right now has been hard. We're backed up farther than that, but I think towards the end of the year, everybody that I'm talking with in the industry is in a similar position. I think we're going to start to see some light at the end of the tunnel later in the year here. Yeah, we've all got our fingers crossed for that. I haven't done a builder interview yet that hasn't referenced the dearth of supplies just to get bikes out the door, which is really frustrating, I think, for both manufacturers and consumers. Yeah, it definitely has. We've seen it on all aspects of the business and some of the full build stuff that we've done. I have... 10 sets of left-hand shifters, but I don't have any right-hand shifters. I mean, just just weird stuff that you can't. We joked about putting on shifter, you know, one on backwards just so that somebody could at least go, you know, spin around the block. But <laughs> getting, getting ridiculous out there. And then I had a follow-up question on your paint process for, for a would-be customer. Is it full custom options or do you just have standard options available? So we have standard options available at our at our set retail prices. Custom is an option. We work with two paint partners locally that do awesome work, and we've done a number of customs in the past. But obviously, that's a added expense and usually some added time because those customers want something special. And yeah, and then for the rover, I noticed on the site you've got what is it six different size options. Are those stock options, or do you also have custom? capabilities we're focused on stock options at this time there's definitely been some conversation around custom but we're just we're honestly not there yet with with our fabrication process and one thing that you asked about earlier that i didn't totally finish on but we've really gotten good at our setup process on those uh, standard sizes so that it's a quick setup custom just adds a whole nother level of you're setting up the jig and you're you know, getting ready to make the frame, it, it does add a fair amount of extra work. And so we've talked about it. It's definitely in our annual conversation yeah. agenda, but at this yeah. point, we're, we're just going to stick with uh, standard sizes. Yeah, I bet that makes a ton of sense. And I appreciate you actually jumping in a little bit on the business and the economics of running a bike business, because I think it is important for consumers to know and understand that Yes, it's easy to think about, oh, you've got all the equipment, you can weld a custom bike up for me. But operationally speaking, it does add this whole new layer of complexity and customer support and customer conversation that needs to happen. It totally does. And that's, that is fun part of the business, but it's certainly when it comes to crunch time. Yeah, I wish we could just snap our fingers and have it be done, but it does add a lot of extra work. So. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think as an industry, we want players like Spooky that have their heart and soul in making a great product to survive. And you've got to run a business to, in order to do. Definitely. Well, I appreciate your understanding of that. And I will say that customers that we've had uh, since we've had it under our control have been awesome. And, and uh, especially this year, super understanding of just everything that everybody has going on and how crazy it is out there. A lot of people are just thrilled that we shipped one yesterday and two days ago and trying to get it there before Father's Day. And I'm hopeful that that, that guy's super stoked because it turned out really well. Just everyone that we get out, that was a, a high five that we can get another one out the door. And hopefully that continues as, as things ease up here. 
Absolutely. And I think it's great as as the brand sees this resurgence. It's a brand, as I said before in the opening, like I've been a fan of the brand for many years. So it's going to be great to see them out, out on the roads and trails. I also do love the fact that you're working with aluminum and you're really pushing the limits of that capability. And as far as the overall design of the bike being totally on trend, in my opinion, with that 650 by 2.25 inch clearance for tires in both the front and the rear, I think it just makes an extremely versatile option that allows a gravel cyclist to go where wherever they want it to go. Definitely. Yeah, we're super stoked about that. I've been riding the heck out of mine, and I'm actually headed up uh, to the Midwest here tomorrow with it to, to do some stuff outside of Arizona, so I'm pretty excited about that. Fun. I can't wait to hopefully spend some time while we're in Utah riding this thing, and I'll put links to everything you're working on, and obviously... The show will have already passed, so we'll have links and pictures from the bike that you've been displaying at the NV Builder Roundup. Awesome. Cool, Adam. Appreciate thanks for all the time today. You got it, man. Cheers. So that's it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Thanks for spending a little bit of your week with us this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Spooky Cycles and learned a little bit more about the state of modern aluminum tubing. I know I did. If you're interested to learn more about Spooky Cycles, I'll put some links in the show notes. And if you're interested in giving us some feedback, please join the ridership at www.theridership.com. It's an open forum for all gravel and adventure cyclists. It's free and a great way to get connected with the podcast, but more importantly, with other riders around the world. If you're able to financially support the podcast, please visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. Any and all of your contributions are greatly appreciated to the efforts here at the podcast. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Mm-hmm.